Well, this is obviously, this is the Christmas season, and as a church, we've been spending this season focused on this famous passage out of Isaiah 9, 6. It says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the, the entire focus for us through this season, and once again today, is, is on the us part of it. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And while it's very true that, that that was spoken 700 years ago and somehow Jesus coming would be meant for them as well and somehow it would be meant for the crowd 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem on that given day when Jesus actually arrived on the planet with skin on and somehow it's true for the 7 billion plus on the planet for whom Jesus has come. But the whole point, the whole yearning is for you and for me is that you would know he came not just for us, he came for you. Jesus, the Son of God, came for you, and Jesus, the Son of God, came for me. And back two weeks back, we began to talk about this, and looking at Isaiah, we recognized in Isaiah that God was saying to that crowd, he was saying, you guys don't deserve this. And we paused two weeks ago and said, we don't deserve this. No one deserves this. And it's by God's grace. It's this unearned, undeserved gift that, that Jesus would come to the planet for you and for me. It's just simply grace that he would do that. None of us deserve that, have earned that. And then we talked about how in this darkened world, and the world back in 700 B.C. they were in was very, very dark, and our world can be very dark. Your world may be very dark today. We talked then the next week about how this passage talks about there being this light that pierces the darkness. And we talked about how Jesus came unto you to bring the light that pierces the darkness. And he would say, I'm not just going to shine light for you. I am the light. I am the light, and I've come unto you to give you that light. And so we're going to continue on uh, today. And I want to set the stage briefly for those of us that, um, those not of us that are visitors. Some of you are visitors, guests. Uh, We're glad that you're here but also set the stage for those of us that have slept since last Sunday to give you a little bit of background. Very, very briefly, 700 B.C., Israel, the, the passage is saying that Israel will be conquered by this brutal foreign government, and they will become slaves to this brutal government. It would be this, this horrendous future ahead of them. And those of us that have lived in the U.S., over the past uh, 250 years. No one's older than that. So if you've been in the U.S. your whole life, we can't even imagine what they were already imagining in the prophecy because they had this long history of being conquered and being under brutal rule and being enslaved. But for us, if you could just try to put yourself in their shoes, try to imagine if ISIS today were to conquer America and enslave you and me. Imagine what that life might be like. They knew that kind of life. They understood the prophecy was we're going to be in this deep, deep, horrible slavery. And so I want to pick up then in Isaiah 9, verse 2. I'll just mention we talked about last week. The prophecy for them is while you're in this horrid existence is that there will be this light that will pierce the darkness. And then I'll pick up in 3. It goes on and says, you, speaking of God, you will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They'll rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest like warriors dividing the plunder. And so into this setting, they're understanding they've got this horrible forecast of what's coming. Into that setting, this passage is saying, in essence, they're going to prosper. 
there's going to be this enlargement of their nation. There'll be a harvest. There'll be plunder for them. It's saying they're going to prosper somehow. And there's going to be this deep joy. It mentions twice there'll be this rejoicing. It actually mentions three times in one verse. There'll be this rejoicing that you guys will have. You guys who will live in this land of slavery, it's all going to shift. It's all going to change. There'll be this prosperity. There'll be this joy. And if you stop there, you would say, how? How is that going to happen? Verse 4. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You'll break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. There'll be fuel for the fire. How's it going to happen? How will you have prosperity and joy? It says God's going to break this yoke of slavery. He's going to destroy the slavery by destroying their opponent, by destroying their enemy. And so it begs the question, if you were to stop there, how? The nation that's going to come down and conquer them is the most powerful nation on the planet. Now, how is this possible? How can this happen? And verse 6 explains it. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The prophecy is that someday the very Messiah himself will come. He'll come as a child. He will come. He will be the one. He'll be the one that will break the slavery, will break the yoke of their slavery. He'll be the one that will give them freedom. It goes on and says, the government will rest on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's very important. It's just told them, the prophecy's just been made, that while you'll be under this horrific, brutal government, under the yoke of slavery to this government, but the yoke is going to be broken It's very important to realize that the prophecy doesn't go on and say, you'll be free from government. No one's going to rule over you. It doesn't say that. It says, for unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given, and the government, the government of your life, the intentionist, will rest upon his shoulders. There's still going to be a government, the prophecy for them, there'll still be a government over them. It's just it's going to be this good government. He's the wonderful counselor. He's mighty God. He's everlasting father. He's prince of peace. It goes on to say his government and its peace will never end. He'll rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. It's saying there's going to be this yoke of slavery broken because you're going to be under this horrendous government. And now there's going to be this shift. You're going to take on this new yoke. There'll be this new government. This is the good government. Like, this is the good government you've always longed for. It's, this is the good government. For them, it was very much a, a physical imagery of this physical enslavement. There would be, there'd be this physical bondage. There would be this country that had a capital. There would be soldiers with spears and swords and chariots. All that for them would be there. There's this very real imagery of this very real slavery for them. And they would have this long history of knowing the promises here. God has has done this stuff before. They could look back at the days of the Exodus with Moses and look back at the most powerful nation in the world at the time. Egypt held them in this brutal slavery, and God promised to break the yoke of slavery. He did it then. They could look back at, it's mentioned here about this nation of Midian. They could look back to two or three centuries before this. At this time, it's told about in Judges 6 through 8, this time where the 
the Midianite army had 135,000 trained armed warriors. 135,000 trained and armed. The Israelites could muster 300 farmers with instruments of agriculture. 300 farmers with hoes and shovels. And God destroys 135,000 trained armed Midianites. They had seen that happen before, so they would, they would read this and they would, they would envision this actual country that enslaves them and God breaking the yoke of slavery. But what does that have to do with you and me in 2015? Thank God. We're not under that kind of slavery, are we? 250 years of our own rule, not always that good, I admit that, but of our own rule. We're not under that kind of enslavement. Are we're not slaves, or are we? How does this prophecy play out? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Turn to John chapter 8. If you have a Bible, John chapter 8. I'll begin in verse 31. John eight thirty-one. So now we've moved from 700 B.C. to the first century A.D., and that child has been born in Bethlehem, and now 32 or so years have passed when we get to chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. He's saying you're really my disciple if you follow me. It's not what you say. It's not the label you give yourself. You, you really are my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. In other words, if you follow me. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And by the way, when he says you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free, he's not talking about just factual information. In John 14, 6, he would say, I am the way, the truth, the life. He would say, I am the truth. When he says here in verse 32, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. He's saying, you will, you will know me. You'll have the chance to know me and I will set you free. So verse 33 unfolds. But we're descendants of Abraham, they said. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you'll be set free? So they're saying we've never been slaves to anyone. They have very short memories. Then go back through history. They've been slaves again and again and again. But they don't like Jesus a whole lot. They don't like his message, and so they're going to discount everything. We've never been slaves. What do you mean? You'll be set free. So Jesus replies, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. And the literal translation of the Greek says, everyone who is continuing in sin is a slave to sin. The, the interpretation is if, if there's a sin that has its hooks in you and you keep committing that sin again and again and again, he's saying you're a slave to sin and I can picture the crowd. And on that given day, I can picture him saying that, saying if, if you're continuing to sin and you can't get yourself free of the hook of this sin, you're a slave. And I could picture some of them there in that crowd that day thinking about the day before when they're temper exploded again and anger spewed all over someone they loved again and they would be thinking back to the promises that they made to themselves the night before uh, after the blow up the promises they made I will never do it again but they'd be thinking about I made that promise again and again and again and I still do it and I can imagine some in that crowd that would be thinking about about how much 
they would find themselves in a setting with some friends or acquaintances, and they would recall something, some really juicy bit of information, not very favorable about someone else. And to insert in the conversation and have a place at the table, they, they would gladly share that little juicy bite of information. And after it was all done, they'd be reflecting back about how they'd done it again and again. They'd begun to see how they had lost friendships over that because many times what they said would get back to that friend. Friendship would be lost. They'd begun to understand that, that they were losing trust of people because people began to think, if you gossip about that person when they're not here, what do you say about me? And they would make the vow Again, that night, they'd make the vow, I will not do it again. But they had recognized they made the vow again and again and again. And there were some in that crowd that recognized the greed that gripped them. Recognized they'd been pursuing more as long as they could remember. And for quite some time, they'd realized it never was satisfying. And deeply inside, they understood it was, it was wrecking their soul. And they made the promise again and again, I'll, I'll walk away from my greed. And yet they never did. And the ones in that crowd who would recognize how for as long as they could remember, jealousy had gripped their heart. Maybe it began back in, in the early school days. And they had school back in those days. In fact, they had intense school in those days. Back in the school days, maybe, of just wishing they, they could get their material learned faster like somebody else learned it. Or wishing they were as popular as someone else. Or wishing they had the looks of someone else. Or looking, wishing they had the physical attributes of someone else. And then they would grow up and, and find themselves wishing that they had that boyfriend or that girlfriend someone else had. Or they would grow up wishing that, that they had that house or, the, or the, um, the financial resources. And they would be looking at their life recognizing, I have, I have experienced as far back as I can remember, this sin of jealousy, and I've promised myself again and again, I will rid myself, and yet it's still here. Or the ones in that crowd that would realize they were just a compulsive liar. Whatever they could say to make themselves look good, they just simply said, and they'd promise themselves again and again, I, I'll, I will quit that. And yet they continued. And the ones in the crowd who were looking at their life, thinking about this long track record of sexual sin and somewhere along the way recognizing the damage done to them and others and all the times they had said never again and yet it happened again and again and again and the ones that were addicted to one thing or another in the setting they promised themselves they would never go back never go back to the alcohol again in their settings today it would be drugs or pornography or whatever and yet they went back again and again. I could picture themselves in that setting all of a sudden being struck by the words of the Savior of the universe. Saying, but do you realize if you are continuing in your sin, you're a slave to that sin. You're a slave to that sin. And I expect they fell silent. And he didn't stop there. He said, a slave is not a permanent member of the family. A slave can be bought, a slave can be sold. A slave is just property. If the property serves you well, great, the property stays. If it doesn't serve you well, you get rid of it, you dispose of it. If there's greater value someplace else, just sell it, get rid of it. He's saying if, if you're a slave, if you're a slave, you have no position at the table. But a son is part of the family forever. And he wouldn't elaborate here, he'd be talking about, he would be subtly referring to he had come to offer relationship with himself and God the Father through his death and resurrection. 
And anyone who would take him up on that through faith in him would be adopted into the family of God. There's this subtle suggestion here about what gets fleshed out in the rest of Scripture is, is that everybody apart from Jesus is just an outsider, not part of the family of God, just an outsider. But Jesus is saying, I'm giving you the way to be an insider, not just an insider, to be a son and a daughter. Because if you're a son and a daughter, you can never be discarded. You can't be bought and sold. You can just be bought. I'll pay the price. You can be bought. And if you trust me, then you're, you're a son and a daughter forever. And then he goes on profoundly to say, in verse 36, So if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. If the Son sets you free, and the context is he's saying your slavery is not this foreign government. He's saying the context is your slavery is, is a sin. There's a sin, or maybe several, that have, its, have their hooks in you. And try as you might, it's still there. And part of you is hating that. It's still there. And he's saying, but I can set you free. And the freedom is in two profound forms, in two profound ways. The first is this, is is to be free from the penalty of sin. To be free from the penalty of sin. This is what Jesus came for. Paul would write in Romans 3, 23 and 24, for everyone has sinned. By the way, don't miss the for everyone, because I suspect there's at least one person in the crowd, if not more, who is sitting here feeling out of place. And I don't know your circumstances. Maybe you've not been in church for a long time, and you're looking around at people, and they look pretty good sitting there. And you think, well, I don't fit with them because I'm a sinner. And, and let me just clear the air. It says here, for everyone has sinned. Everyone that is currently on stage has sinned. Everyone that's been on stage has sinned. Everyone in the room has sinned, all 7 billion plus. And so if you've come as a sinner, you're in great company. You fit in. Someone's probably looking at you thinking you've been here 18 years and I'm, you know, they never sin like me. They're looking at you. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God with undeserved kindness, the word is grace, undeserved kindness declares that we're righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. He did this through Christ Jesus who freed us from the penalty of our sins. And the verse prior to this, he's been talking about how we're, we're estranged from God. And he says, the only thing that makes us right with God is to place our faith in Jesus, which means to surrender leadership of our life to Jesus. So that's the only thing that makes us right with God. And then he follows in saying, Jesus Christ then, then came to free us from the penalty of sins. And I want to touch on some multiple penalties of sin. So some of you sitting here, you've, you've placed your faith in Jesus, and I want you to bask in what you have. And some of you sitting here have not placed your faith in Jesus, and I want you to know what you could have this day and from this day forward. The penalty of sin, the first is this, is separation from God. It's absolute separation from God. As sinners on our own, apart from what Jesus has done, apart from faith in Jesus, there's no way we can have relationship with God. We simply cannot have relationship with God. We can go through our entire life. We were meant for relationship. I'm going to talk more about what that looks like. We were meant for it. We simply can't have it. And if we breathe our last without it, Jesus talks in the starkest of terms about the eternity 
that is called hell in the absence of God. And as he describes it, you can tell he's looking for the words that would help us understand that eternity is so horrendous, words can't accurately depict it. And, and when we trust Jesus, because he's paid the price for our sins, then, then that penalty of sin is broken. There's immediately, there's this relationship with God of the universe. There's this relationship. You're adopted as a daughter, or adopted as a son into his family. The moment you breathe your last, the relationship continues in this perfection of heaven. That penalty, separation from God, that is, that is destroyed. We're free from that penalty. That penalty has been conquered by Jesus. But there's additional part of the penalty is the guilt that we experience. You know that, don't you? The guilt over sin, the shame over sin, the fear over sin. He came to cancel all that penalty. He came to cancel all that. And if you're a follower of Jesus, his intent, you would get to the point where where you are free. You're free from guilt and shame and fear. Really free. And I'll give you one more. Part of the penalty of sin, it's always broken relationships. Sin always does damage, and some of the damage is always broken, fractured relationships. And he's come to, to cancel the penalty in the regard that now there's the hope that those broken relationships can be mended by God. Now, now there's the hope that those can be mended. So God came, Jesus came to free us from the penalty of sin. He also came, this is very profound, if that's all he had done, wouldn't that be enough? If you could live this life with God now and have heaven, wouldn't you sell your soul for that alone? But there's something more than that. And this is, this is stunning and this is very real. Paul would write in Romans 6, verses 6 and 7, and verse 14. He would say, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ. In other words, we died to our leadership. We gave him leadership. We were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Sin is no longer your master. He's saying, I will give you the power Two, to break that slavery, I will give you the power to have that hook cut out. I give you the power to to leave that sin in the dust and to go back no more. I, I know people here at FCC that had decades of, of anger, violent anger. It had done so much damage, and they hated that about themselves. And they have, found, they have found they are free of that anger now. They, they found they have left that one in the dust that Jesus has given them the power to do that. I'll talk more about how he does that. They have found freedom from that. I know people at FCC that thrived, they thrived in gossip to a point and then began to see the deep damage and yet they continued in it. And I know people now that are free of that sin as well. It, they have left it in the dust. I know many here who, who lived enslaved to greed. And even though they realized it was, it was shrinking their soul, they couldn't escape it. But now in Christ, in Jesus, they have left that one in the dust. 
I know people in this crowd that were slaves to jealousy. They had, they'd gone decades living just a life where jealousy was pervasive. They're free from that now. I know people in this crowd that, that lived uh, lives of perpetual lying that are free from that now. I know a number of people at FCC that lived in lives of perpetual sexual sin, and that chain has been broken they no longer live in that now. I know many people at FCC that fought the battles of addiction of alcohol and drugs and pornography, and many of them have found freedom now because Jesus has given them the power over sin now. And some of those sins have been easily abandoned and some not so much. Hear this. Hear this. Freedom from sin comes only through intimate relationship with Jesus First and foremost, freedom from sin comes only through intimate relationship with Jesus. The prophet Isaiah would write in Isaiah 7, 14. He'd be talking about the child that's going to come. And he would say he will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. Very literally, very profoundly, the child who comes, he says, will be Emmanuel, will be God with us. Us. There'll be this closeness, this intimacy. And when we trust Jesus, then the barrier between us and God is broken down, and there's this intended intimacy. And the reality is, if a bunch of you are followers of Jesus, reality is, is he lives so close to you. The way he describes it, he says he lives in you. The reality is he is so intimately close, but do we know it? Are we aware of it? The power is being aware of that truth. Yesterday morning, I was um, at a fast food place. I was in a booth, and I was spending some time just with God. And I journaled something that I intended. It was between God and me. And I had no thought of, of ever sharing it. But later in the day, I realized I should share it with you because maybe it will give you this picture of, of what God would long for us to have, to, to know the intimacy that's there. It's there, but to know it. So I'm... Um, sitting down yesterday, and this is what I, I begin to write. Lord God, you are here with me in this booth. The God of the universe, who is everywhere, sovereign over all, sits with me. What grace and love to do so. The mortal and the immortal sitting together the frail and the all-powerful, the sinner and the holy one, the creature is creator sitting in a booth. I feel so loved. I feel so humbled. I feel life and I feel hope. I feel joy. I feel wonder. How can it be? And yet, it is. I feel all things are possible in you, Lord. All that you present, all that's in Scripture, all you promise is within our reach. I love you, Lord, your son, Rick. So I begin walking through the day that unfolds. And there were temptations in the day. What chance did they have compared to that? I was just recognizing reality. 
the God of the universe with me. What did temptation have to offer? They would hold a candle to that. Make no mistake. Freedom comes only through intimate relationship with Jesus first. And if you've surrendered to him, you have it. The question is, will you be aware of it? Will you structure your life in such a way? Will you come back to reality again and again and again? Where the, the wonder of that and the power of that and the love of that, strength of that will, will shape the day that you live. But he didn't stop there. Freedom from sin comes only through intimate relationship with Jesus, but also with Jesus' followers. This is just the way God made us. He made us so relational because God loves relationship. He's all about relationship. And so he's wired as such, especially for those sins that seem to have the deepest hooks in us, the ones that are hardest to leave in the dust. He's wired us where there's this need for this intimate relationship with Jesus, but also with Jesus' followers. And so there are times you need to have this band of brothers. You need to have some fellow followers of Jesus that are like-minded, and you will you will hold each other deeply, honestly, vulnerably accountable about what challenges you, what, tem- what tempts you, about what sin has its hook in you. And, and as a band of brothers or a band of sisters, Jesus works in that, in that accountability and love and grace found in that, that challenge found in that to free us. About two months ago, we had this weekend here, a weekend focus that was called Fight of Your Life. And the focus of it was for men, and, and all men have this challenge at one level or another, was to men around sexual purity. And a lot of that piece was around pornography specifically. And out of that weekend, out of that Saturday seminar, there have been more men now who have formed a band of brothers or bands of brothers. We already had several that had these kind of relationships around sexual purity, but now there are more of them. And they've said, this one... The temptation is still very real for me on this one. And they've said, but I want to leave it in the dust. And I want this intimacy with Jesus, but not just that. I want intimacy with his followers as well. And there's some, there's some additional men today that are finding this freedom from sin. And sometimes it takes more than peers. Sometimes it takes gifted pastors or counselors, or mentors. It's what God's provided. Sometimes some sin is so deeply ingrained and so complexly woven into the fiber of our being. Sometimes it takes, that's why God's gifted some pastors and counselors and mentors. But make no mistake, when Jesus says, I have come to set you free from sin, that's what he intends to do. It's precisely what he intends to do. There is, there is no sin in your life or mine that is greater than he is. The secret is intimacy, deep intimacy with him and with followers of him as well. For unto us, back in Isaiah 9, it talked about the outcome of this child coming. And in, in verse 3, it talked about they would discover prosperity and joy. And I found myself looking back at that and thinking, when I have freedom from sin, my soul prospers. When I think of the sins that were hard to leave in the dust, and I look back to the time they were left in the dust, my soul has prospered because of that. 
I think of the joy that comes. That's his intent is, is today when we, we embrace the son in this, we prosper and there's joy. But make, make no mistake, the promise is not freedom from external rule. The promise is not freedom from external rule. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 9, verses 4 and 6. Listen to the language used. It says, for you will break the yoke of their slavery. You'll break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. You're not free of government. You're you're switching governments. The government will rest upon his shoulders, but this yoke of slavery will be broken. Then Matthew 11 28 and 30, it says, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. The yoke of slavery, the yoke from the other government, it's going to be broken. Take my yoke upon you. In other words, take my rulership over your life. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart. You'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear. The burden I give you is light. The government talked about Isaiah. He gives the government of fairness and justice. He is the wonderful counselor. He is mighty God. He is everlasting Father. He is Prince of Peace. For unto us, for unto us, Jesus came to set us free. For unto you, Jesus came to set you free. Are you free from the penalty of sin. Are you free from the power of sin? Here's here's the bottom line of where we go with this. For unto us, the the first step, the beginning is this. Many of you have taken this. You can have so much joy in this. Some of you haven't, but you can. In the next few moments, this can become your life. The first is to surrender to Jesus' rule. Surrender to Jesus' rule. So I give up leadership of my life. I give it to you. I, that's placing faith in him. I give you leadership of my life. And in the moment you do that, the penalty of sin is broken. You don't have to keep re-breaking it again and again. It is simply broken. The barrier between you and God is blown away. There's this relationship with God that will not be broken. Heaven someday, all that's yours. You can be, if you recognize it, you can be guilt-free, shame-free, fear-free, all of that is done, that one profound say, a bunch of you here, that's the life you have. Some of you, not yet. But for unto you, Jesus came to give that to you. The first step is surrender to Jesus' rule. The second step is to live in intimate community with Jesus and with Jesus' followers. To live in intimate community with Jesus and Jesus' followers. And this is the step that gives us freedom from the power of sin. This is where the sin stops. This is where the sin stops. Intimate community with Jesus and Jesus' followers. And then finally, live truly free. If you're already a follower of Jesus, you were, you were meant to live in, in freedom now. If you're not a follower of Jesus yet, you can be in the moments ahead. I'm going to pray in just a moment. And you can pray this authentic prayer to him as it would be the same prayer that I prayed many years back and others here of just saying, I I give up leadership to you. And part of the motive for some of you here is you know the struggle with sin and you're tired of it. You're sick of it. You know the damage done. And and here's Jesus saying, for unto you I came for such a time as this. 
And you can begin this life of freedom today. Just trust me. Friends, those that are followers of Jesus are no longer slaves. Father in heaven, for those in this room who until now haven't trusted their life to Jesus, my hope is, my prayer is that they would pray an authentic prayer now, that they would say, I, I want to abandon the life I've known. I want freedom from these sins. And I want to give leadership of my life to you, Jesus. Here's my life. And Father, for them, a brand new life begins. And prayerfully, that's happening right now in this room. Not just with one person, prayerfully among many people. The offer is for them. The new life is for them. Jesus came for unto them. And Father, those of us in the room that are followers of Jesus, may we have so much hope. Perhaps we're thinking back of the freedom from sin you've already given and the joy and the gratitude and the wonder that you would do that for us. There's this track record of you doing that. And perhaps, Father, we're sitting here thinking of a sin that still has its hooks in us, and, and we're embracing the promise that the power of Jesus can break this one too. And, and we'll be reflecting upon that, placing our hope in that, and, and then begin finding out how we can live more deeply this intimate life with Jesus this intimate life with Jesus' followers, which will give us the actual freedom, Father. It's stunning, stunning that in Jesus Christ, you made us to be no longer slaves. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.